to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. There was so much going on this week in American K-12 education that I want to jump in and cover a few different topics. Um, first of all, in my professional opinion, this past week in American history was the most embarrassing week, if the worst week, I suppose, or the best, depending on how you look at it. I certainly had a, a smile on my face most of the week, but it was the worst week for American K-12 education, again, in my professional opinion. The things that were revealed this week throughout the entire country in countless schools, including school districts very close to me within my, within my county, even made the national news. These stories had to have made their way into every American home, for the most part, at least for those that even glance at the news. I mean, you don't even have to dive deep or be analytical about any of it. If you just glanced at it, you came across something this past week where you just said, I can't believe that that's happening. Um, <clears throat> it really... I mean, it's caving in on itself, and it, it, it can't possibly become more obvious. It's, it's ridiculously obvious that American K-12 education is a complete and utter embarrassment. It's a total nightmare. The crime, the degeneracy, the violence, the unprofessionalism, um, all of it. All of it just smashed into one. It, it, didn't, it didn't even matter where the school was because you can just assume and assume accurately that these behaviors exist within every American K-12 school district, without a doubt. They just do. Again, it's all Marxism. It's all Bolshevism. That's what all of this is. The very people in these environments and their very behaviors and their false ideologies and whatever it is that they're carrying with them within, into these environments is creating all of those problems. And it's creating all of this illegality. The cover-ups alone that took place this week are, I mean, it's, it's, it's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. So before I get into specific stories here, I wanted to briefly mention this. Of course, the FDA approved the jabs for 5 to 11-year-olds. They're not fully approved in the sense that we think that they are. And again, I've been over this before, but even if they were, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter because it's the exact same juice. So the only thing that's happened is, is the FDA has recommended emergency use authorization. Unfortunately, that still means that this next week, parents are going to be leading their own children to the slaughter. And they're still, they're still going to be giving them these jabs. Um, I got to tell you, there's a <clears throat> there's a kid's there's a kid's face that's in my mind right, right now, and it's this little girl who I passed again on. Uh, I, I I mentioned her before. I've mentioned her a couple of times now, but driving past a bus stop, and she stands there, and she's wearing a mask, and her dad is standing next to her, not wearing a mask while drinking a cup of coffee, with a smile on his face from ear to ear. And it's really sad. But 
she she's a perfect example of of someone who does not stand a chance. So perhaps the only thing that we can do in situations like this is just pray for their safety. Um, pray that you know that their parents don't harm them. Uh, I I really don't know what else to say. I did come across an interesting thing though. It was an interesting little scenario, so to speak, a, a social scenario that that seems to actually work. And uh, people on these anonymous online boards were were commenting on it and, and and posting about it. And it has to do with entering a pharmacy and telling the pharmacist what they're actually doing to people when they give them these jabs. Um, one particular post it 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 read something like this. I'm paraphrasing, but it's it was true. Uh, I assume the individual. Uh, was friends with this guy. The guy had both shots and then showed up to his pharmacist to receive a booster jab and then died the very next day as a result, of course, of the booster jab. Um, when the individual who he's friends with found out, that person went right to the pharmacist, walked right into the store, and, and found the pharmacist in the back and just started yelling at them at the top of their lungs what they had done, what they were doing, told the person their name, said they were in here yesterday, they got their booster jab, and now they're dead. What are you doing? What is wrong with you? That kind of thing. They said that the look on the pharmacist's face was complete and utter terror. Like the pharmacist, again, had no idea um, that any of this was dangerous, but had just now come to the realization that that was in fact the case, and that some of that responsibility and and uh, self awareness was starting to set in that they were actually injecting death into people. So I don't know how much of a commotion people want to start, but I, I read that and I thought to myself, well, that's certainly a way to maybe change a pharmacist's mind and, and keep a pharmacist from jabbing children is to walk into your local Walgreens or CVS or wherever they're getting these jabs and, and walk up to the person doing it and explain to them what they're actually doing. Again, I'm certain that that's happened before and they probably just call the police and usher you away, but I, I just thought that was an interesting scenario. So, okay, that's enough of the jab news for now. But keep an eye on it because again, it's not it's not getting better. Um, here here's a particular story that was brought up on the Quite Frankly podcast this past week, and and it, it's an it's a very interesting story. And in fact, I was going to call into his show and comment on it, but I thought, nah, I'm just going to save my analysis for for my podcast, and and I want to provide my insight into this here because it really is something that is provable. What I'm going to say, it's something that's been researched at length. Countless authors have written about this, in particular Thomas Sowell, and. I want to I want to mention preface it by of course bringing up the background of this particular story. Um, there's a Louisiana high school that used to have a lot of violence apparently and um, quote unquote gang related violence, uh, interpersonal violence, a, a large black population within this school, 
and there's a group of dads, quote unquote, who they wear t-shirts that have a slogan on them and, and they show up to this school and they monitor the hallways and they joke around with students and they encourage them again to go to class and do their work and, and befriend these students because again, as even they say, many of them are coming from fatherless homes. And that of course is one of the major triggers for an individual becoming violent, uh, in particular breaking the law and then entering a penitentiary uh, at some point in their life or, or having a rap sheet at, at, at some point th throughout the course of their life or, you know, a life of crime. Um, th there's, a, there's a deeper problem, though. While, I mean, again, I'm not criticizing the program per se. I, I think that schools need to find something that works for them. However, here, here's my take on this, and again, this is my experience talking along with things that I've read and researched and what have you, but the fact is this, is that if a school is violent, and they all are to some extent, in particular public schools, they, they set the table for violence to occur. And yes, of course, what's going on in the home is not the responsibility of, of the school per se, but... I've, I've mentioned in the past what happens when schools don't set the example. If they don't expel students and they allow students to come back after fighting, what, I mean, what kind of behaviors are they going to expect that are going to occur in the future? You're going to get the exact same thing. So having, having dads, quote-unquote, show up and, and do what they're doing in this school, which apparently has... I doubt it's eliminated violence, but it's certainly reduced it, if I had to take a guess. Because sometimes, again, those feel-good puff stories, um, you're not getting the full picture. And the full story isn't being told. So, again, if somebody says, not a single fight is broken out, mm, I doubt that. I highly doubt that. But I'm not discounting, again, the, the, the importance of, of what, they, you know, what they're doing, and certainly their hearts are in the right place. So I'm not criticizing them for doing it. I'm going to attack this, however, from a school management problem. To invite individuals from, an out, from the outside into a school building is an immediate admission that the school is being run poorly. That's the umbrella statement right there. It gives away that whoever is in charge is doing a bad job. That's number one. Number two, what sex of individual, and yes, I said sex, not gender, what, what sex of individual tends to dominate the profession of American K-12 education and, I might add, now even in higher education? It's females. So, I'm not saying that women are the problem, but what I am saying is, is that there is a hiring practice and a behavioral practice that takes place, or I should say paradigm, it's, it's just a pattern, that takes place that is remarkably problematic in American K-12 schools. And it has to do with the following. It has to do with hiring females, not hiring strong knowledgeable masculine men and then hiring 
which is going to lead into later stories that I'm going to bring up here regarding sort of the degeneracy and the uh, laziness that takes place in unprofessionalism. But hiring beta males, just weak males, to be school teachers, almost regardless of the environment, whether the environment is well-to-do or the environment is a, a you know, a quote-unquote rough and tough area, it does not matter. Uh, with all of that said, let's examine the administrative position for a minute. There are more and more female principals and female assistant principals now than ever before. Again, females dominate the profession. And it, I, I, again, I'm not attacking women. What I'm saying is, is that when you have it, when an environment like that around children is as lopsided as it is, you're going to have serious behavioral issues among some students, in particular, I might add, the ones who come from a home environment where one sex of a you know one sex or one parent is absent. And again, among black Americans, it tends to be the male. Now, that really doesn't matter based on race. The fact is, is that if, if a strong male is out of the house, the likelihood of that child growing up to again become an attention-seeking individual and potentially violent or devious or dishonest or, or what have you is is remarkably high. So if that is the case in the home environment, and then that individual in that home environment makes their way into a school environment where the exact same demographic exists, you can't expect any any change. You can't expect any any difference in in anything. In 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 behavior, in attitude, um any of it. And I'm not alone in this regard, but I remember when I was younger, consistently saying to myself, when am I going to have a male teacher, a male school teacher? Again, I didn't come from, and my, my parents are married to this day. Um, you know, I didn't come from some absent home where, where someone wasn't around, but, and I know that lots of people do, but even I, coming from a stable home environment, was was interested in having a different opinion and a different person at the front of the room who would instruct me. Um, and I remember when I, you know, who who wasn't I, I should specify who wasn't a gym teacher, somebody who was a, an actual classroom instructor, and and I remember very clearly, um, one of the first male teachers I had wasn't until I was in sixth grade. And they were my math teacher. And they actually taught me to really enjoy math because they enjoyed it. They, they had a fun way of going about it. They were enthusiastic about it. And that rubbed off on everybody in the room. And I, I, again, I don't know of a student who didn't like this particular teacher. We all enjoyed him. He was funny, but he was professional. And you didn't mess around in his classroom because you didn't want to disrupt that social, I've referred to it as a canoe, just that social canoe. You don't want to rock that canoe because 
you knew how he would react. It was going to be remarkably disrespectful toward him. And no one wanted to do that. And when you bring a level of enthusiasm and honesty to anything, people tend to rally around that. And you tend to not want to ruffle those feathers or rock that boat because then all hell is going to break loose. Even for a second, it would become uncomfortable for everyone involved. And then, of course, you would feel bad for him because he's the individual who is nice and running the show and whatever else. So my point is, is that, again, in an environment like that, when you have predominantly females who are in charge, who are not strong or don't have the respect of the individuals who are inhabiting that environment, it's indicative of, again, their own personalities and their own hiring practices and their own lack of professionalism. Now, from a hiring standpoint, it's also not uncommon. In fact, it's remarkably common for either strong-willed or weak females who are in a position of power or influence or are quote-unquote in charge to not hire strong males. That's not uncommon. That happens all of the time. Why don't they hire strong males? They don't hire strong males because they are threatened by their very presence. In particular, if they are knowledgeable, articulate, they have a history within that particular profession, maybe. They've been around a lot of other places. They've seen the way that a lot of other things, you know, the, the way that a lot of other things are run. Again, quick story. Um, less than 10 years ago, I interviewed at a, I'm glad I didn't get the job, but it was a, a Montessori school in Louisville, Kentucky. And I got the interview through a former student of my dad's at the university level. She was teaching in this school. She knew that that an old professor of hers, my dad, that there that that I taught health education, and they were looking for a health education teacher. And I thought, yeah, I'll I'll drive down to Kentucky and and see what this is about. The fact is is that when I met the principal, who was a female, and I was being interviewed by her and a female math teacher, that I knew more than the two of them. I just did. One of the, th one of the first things I've ever, I, that I always do during any interview, and I've had a number of them, but I'll look around their room or wherever I am, and it's usually in an office or their office or something like that. And I'll look at the books that are on the bookshelf because if you want to get an idea as to what an individual is doing or how they think or how they manage things, you, you, you look around the room and you examine the room. Again, you can look at the way that they dress, you can look at the way that they carry themselves, uh, the looks on their faces, a number of things. But one of the things that gives them away, again, are the books on their shelves. And I immediately started looking at the books on her shelf, and her office, I might add, was a bit discombobulated, which, and unorganized, which um, is indicative of, again, a lack of organization. So I know what's going on between her ears, but at the exact same time, you know, she she claimed to to have everything figured out, and you know, it's it's just the way that she was behaving, but. There was a book on the shelf, again, which I've mentioned before, titled The First Days of School. 
And I brought that book up because my dad is referenced in that book. In fact, the book was built around his research, and that book was Standard Procedure Within Teacher Education Programs Across the Nation. So I remember seeing that book, and sometime during the interview when we were talking about management and classroom management, I referenced the book, and I referenced the work of my dad. And they went, oh, yeah, it's right over there. And I, I said, yeah. I said, that guy raised me. I mean, I, you know, th that's the way that, that's the way that I was raised. So I can manage a classroom. It's never been a problem. And then I went through some strategies, whatever else I said, it's just, it's honesty and it's, and it's enthusiasm and all the things that I mentioned with that sixth grade math teacher. And what was interesting was, is you could see the looks on their faces. They knew that they were overwhelmed by my presence. I could just sense it. I could, I, I could just sense that they knew that they were out of their league and I know that that sounds like I'm being <clears throat> remarkably arrogant, but that's not, it's not arrogance. It's, um, it's just awareness. I, I, it was evident that having me in that building was going to be problematic for them. Not because I was looking to do any wrong or, you know, I was looking to catch somebody breaking the law or anything like that. That wasn't it. It was just they didn't want me around because of the way that I spoke the certainty in which I spoke. And again, I only speak that way when I know what I'm talking about. So I knew what I was talking about. And I think that they were looking clearly for someone who was more bendable, somebody who was weaker, again, whether that be a weak, effeminate male, or that be someone who is just a female and someone who um, would be more agreeable with whatever it is that they were going to be pushing forth. At one point during that interview, she also looked at me and she said, I've, I noticed that on your references that you don't have any administrators listed. Is there a reason for that? And I looked at her point blank, honesty, again, something that is unusual for, for many individuals in positions like that. And I looked at her and I said, yes, there's a very good reason. I said, the, t uh, the teacher and administrative turnover rate where I used to teach in Florida is remarkably high. I said, the last principal that I had was a, uh, a convicted domestic violence person, somebody who abused their, their, their ex-wife, uh, had, had, a, had a rap sheet, and was an alcoholic. I said, that's not someone that I want to reference from. That's not a that's not a professional reference in in my in my opinion, and I said, and the other administrators that I worked with or around are gone. They all changed positions. They left the building. I said these are not references that I'm interested in. I was interested in having references of people who could speak to me, who knew me, and who were there and stayed there long enough to know how effective I was. And again, I I said it basically like that. And it, and it shocked her. <clears throat> Again, the look on her face was a look of, that, that, that seems hostile, or that seems odd, or that seems weird, or whatever. It, it was as if she was unaware that crime occurs in American K-12 schools, and that some of us witness that crime, and some of us do our best to hold those people accountable but that we also have to leave those environments because we have a reputation that we have to uphold and a career that we have to think about and, and remaining in an unhealthy environment is unhealthy for a variety of reasons. So, the, again, the bigger point is this. 
bringing in outside individuals to to help who, who aren't teachers per se and, and you know whatever to to counsel or manage a, a school building is just indicative of how unprofessional the actual environment is by the adults who are there it's indicative of how unprofessional the teachers are the counselors um the, the administration from top from top to bottom including the school board rope, rope them into the exact same thing they're they're a problem too and again Yes, it's unfortunate that individuals grow up in quote-unquote broken homes or fatherless homes or parentless homes or, or whatever it is. That happens all of the time, and it's, and it's awful. But the school has a responsibility to hire the right people. And isn't it ironic that you hear the word diversity, diversity, diversity over and over again? And yet, they are the least diverse hiring practices that exist. Again, dominated by beta males, weak males, and, and females. And now, as we're seeing, it's being dominated also by Marxists. So having a Marxist ideology is a, is a hiring practice that people are looking for. You add that on top of other bad hiring practices, like only hiring a particular race or a particular sex of a person or whatever it is, that's not going to make the environment better or safer or more fluent in what's supposed to be taught and what's supposed to be learned. It's cumulative risk. It's going to make things worse, which is exactly what we are seeing. We are seeing American K-12 schools now mimic and mirror Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's burning to the ground. So sending children into these environments has become the least safe thing that a person can do because it's the mind that's being broken, not just physical violence. That's always been an issue in American K-12 schools, but the mind is being snapped now, and it's being bent in a particular way that surrounds itself with a level of unprofessionalism that um, that baffles the mind. So here's the first story that I'm going to bring up because I wanted to use that again as, as a springboard. And I know I was rambling a little bit, so I apologize. But Loudoun County, Virginia, of course, is consistently brought up as being a cesspool because it is. And yes, they were covering up the the rape of a female student on at least more than one occasion. So with that said, Loudoun County, Virginia, and their school board is hands down a criminal organization. They just are. And they're doing all of the things that a criminal organization does. They're separating themselves from the civil. They're dividing themselves as far away as humanly possible from civil behavior. For example, they're now forcing parents to sign forms promising to not show anyone else their CRT-based curriculum. And again, this comes from the Gateway Pundit. It's just, it's just another example. They're openly admitting that what they're doing, people disagree with. Now, beyond that, they don't care about analyzing it any more specific than that. Well, they disagree with what we're doing, and 
whatever. They're wrong and they have their, they have their reasons and blah, blah, blah. But it goes even deeper than that. Again, getting back to the rape case for a minute, the entire school board, superintendent, you name it, they should be arrested. The paper trail that exists and must exist on those servers, if those servers haven't been wiped clean, which I'm sure they have, but it doesn't matter because there's police reports now and there's eyewitness accounts and you name it of who knew what when. You can't get rid of that unless they start offing people and they just start killing the people who actually knew and know what goes on there. But there need to be arrests that are made because, again, people are in jail for doing less within American K-12 schools. But it's also a lawless nation and it's a lawless county and it's a lawless state of Virginia and Again, th those, <laughs> th those patterns show themselves, which of course causes more and more parents to show up to school board meetings and start yelling about what's going on, and rightfully so. They have the right to do that. But again, I find it very hard to believe that there's not a lawyer out there who's seeking to sue these individuals in their capacity because you're talking about federal crimes being broken, specifically criminal conspiracy. That's a federal crime. At the very least, they could be brought up on conspiracy charges and fined in the millions of dollars in their personal capacity and then, you know, be, be ushered right into, a, right into a prison. So that's just, again, that's one example. But it, it gets worse here because there are more, there are just more horrible stories here. This next one I actually found on an anonymous chat board uh, very early in the morning, and by late afternoon, it finally made its way to the Gateway Pundit, and it's titled the following. I'm going to read through this. Florida school board member chaperones little children on gay bar field trip. They took children to a gay bar in Florida. I believe Broward County, if I'm not mistaken. So it reads like this, quote, and there's a picture of them sitting in a gay bar, Listening to gay individuals talk about their business. I can think of a thousand other businesses to take children. Uh, as even somebody on Gab said, imagine what would happen if you took them to a church. Uh, you know, as a, as a field trip. So, it says this, quote, A school board member in Florida is under fire for chaperoning children on a gay bar field trip. The teachers felt this was a necessary experience for the kids who look around 9 to 10 years old. School board member Sarah Leonardi, if I'm saying that right, uh, said it was an honor on her social media accounts. She says, quote, I was so honored to be invited to chaperone at Wilton Man Manors ES's field trip to the Incredible Rosie's. Rosie's is the name of the, the bar or restaurant, or whatever. Uh, it says, the students and I had a fun walk over and learned a lot about our community. A huge thank you to at Rosie's BNG for hosting this special field trip every year. So they've been doing it yearly, apparently. And then there's a menu, and it says in another uh, Twitter post, it says, curious if Bra at Broward County Schools or Broward's schools has elementary level translation for Ivana Hooker, Miley High Club, Young Ranch Hand, the left one is bigger. And these are foods that are on this menu. 
all sexual innuendo, the entire thing. Again, the patterns of degeneracy just continue to show themselves in all of these environments. Um, so I'm going to bounce over here to Kentucky, and a lot of people heard of this one too. And sadly, there were actually people defending what went on within this quote-unquote homecoming pep rally. And you're going to hear from one of those individuals because I've got an audio of, the, of that as well. But this is from The Blaze, and it's titled, Mom Defends Man Pageant, where high school students gave lap dances to staff and is annoyed the story got out. People don't know how to keep their mouths shut, she said. She's a real piece of work, and you're going to hear from her in a minute. But this particular school, again, just to summarize, apparently has this homecoming procedure where they just turn the entire gymnasium into a playground of degeneracy for the most part. Now, I've spoken about pep rallies in the past and how useless they are and how they have no business even existing within school environments. Not at all. The, the tradition, quote-unquote, the pageantry, the you know, rites of passage, whatever, whatever bullshit phrase a person wants to use when it comes to associating these activities and behaviors with a school environment shows how, just how much little thinking is actually taking place. Because think of what they would be doing if they actually spent that focus and that energy and that time on reading, writing, and arithmetic and what would actually occur. And I've brought this story up in the past, but I'm going to mention it just quickly before I get into the story. In the high school where I taught for a year and a half, which was a complete and utter nightmare, and you, you talk about inbred behavior and individuals hiring their own and hiring their former graduates and married couples working right next to each other and you name it. I mean, it was nepotism to the nth degree. They used to have pep rallies that, that, that students just hated. They hated them. And I've hated them since I was a student. So I never attended any of them. But I would have students come back to me and tell me what went on dur during these pep rallies. <clears throat> in, in one particular pep rally, they decided to play the dating game, just like the old game show from back in the day. And they would have married couples who were working in the building sit next to each other, and then people would ask them questions, and they set it up like a game show. They then did the exact same thing with students who were dating one another. So they were pushing this, everybody has to have a boyfriend, everybody has to have a girlfriend, this will bring you popular attention if you're dating somebody within an environment, because look, they're just like adults. They're, they're minors dating one another, just like this married couple that works here. They're all the same. See how that works? And if you're not dating somebody, then there's something wrong with you. That's the implied, that was always just this overarching implication that was going on among the student population. And it's awful because it sets people up, as you might imagine, to get hurt and to be hurt very badly. Um, Again, that was just one small example. There are others, but in this particular Kentucky school, however, uh, they referred to it again as a man pageant. Now, again, I don't know who the principal is, who, by the way, doubles as the town's mayor. So why that's allowed is beyond me. Certainly seems like a conflict of interest. And frankly, again, just bringing up degenerate behavior here. 
I don't know what the sexual proclivity of of the administration or that principle is, but based on the pictures, we can certainly take a guess because he seems to be enjoying the fact that males, male students are dressing up like females and dancing on him and touching him. So take that for what you want. But here's the article, and again, this comes from The Blaze. It says, a woman, uh, a mother vehemently defended a Kentucky high school's man pageant in which students were photographed giving lap dances to staff members, including the principal, and also was annoyed that the homecoming event made the news in the first place. She said, quote, people don't know how to keep their mouths shut, the mother told reporter. Holly Lane, whose son and his friends participated in the Hazard High School event, according to WLEX-TV, told the station that the controversy has been overblown. She said, quote, It's been taken completely out of context, Lane told the station. There are only photos being shown on the internet, no videos, so the photos don't show the teachers pushing the children off of them. Here, here's the problem with this. The problem is, is the entire activity shouldn't be taking place. This is not, this is not a school. When schools turn into fraternities and sororities with their initiations and degeneracy, I mean, you don't have learning taking place. You're turning it into a playground and, a, and just this perverse playground where, again, none of this should be taking place. I'm going to play the audio from this, but let me describe these photographs again. You have minor boys dressing up like females as at least three individuals, including the principal slash mayor, is sitting in the middle, and they're giving them lap dances, and they're tickling them, and they're touching them, and they're doing whatever they're doing. Um, again, not as you might imagine, and there's other female teachers again in the crowd. Uh, and they're all, I mean, one of them is, sh shows them laughing and, and enjoying this. There's another picture of females, students, dressed up uh, in, in tight black shorts wearing Hooters shirts. And they're walking around in order. And this is ridiculous. They're walking around in order with fake beer mugs. Again, this is Weimar Germany. This is why Hitler won. It was because of this. It was to root out this kind of behavior. And again, there's another photograph of an individual, a student, receiving a wedgie while a teacher paddles them with a wooden paddle. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. So I'm going to play this audio here, and then I'm going to dip into the uh, principal-slash-mayor's background, because this guy's got a history, and it's one of criminality, and that matters, because, again... An individual who is running a school building who is doubling as the town's mayor, who has a history of criminality specifically around minors, jail. It's that simple. Jail is where they belong. So here's the audio from the news report. An investigation is underway at Hazard High School in Perry County after images taken during a homecoming event were posted online. Now, they include pictures of students in lingerie and bikinis dancing on teachers. The school is receiving backlash on social media from parents who are calling the incident inappropriate and disturbing. LEX 18 Sophia Millar hears from them and one parent who says the photos... Don't tell the whole story. Now, we do want to warn you, some of you may find some of these images disturbing. Details now on the LEX 18 Big Story at 6. The 
pictures were originally posted on the Hazard High School Athletics Facebook page, but have since been removed. We have blurred the faces of students to protect their privacy. We are told it was part of homecoming week celebrations. Tuesday was costume day and there was a man pageant in the gym. These are some of the images receiving the most criticism. They appear to show scantily clad students giving lap dances to faculty and staff. Others showed female students dressed in Hooters costumes, carrying mugs that looked like there was beer in them. And in others, students and staff appear to spank or paddle each other. It was just really shocking whenever I first saw it, and um, I, I almost couldn't wrap my head around it. Hazard mom Jenna Smith has a family member at the high school and kids in the district. She says the event should have been shut down the moment an adult realized students were undressing. I think that they should have at that point said, hey, I know this is a joke, but let's stop. This is inappropriate. Mom Holly Lane disagrees. It has been taken completely out of context. There are only photos being shown on the Internet, no videos. So the photos don't show what the teachers pushing the children off of them. Lane's sons and his friends participated in the homecoming event. She says pushing the limits and embarrassing teachers is part of the fun. If everybody is perfect, then I would say, yeah, maybe we need to rethink something. But until somebody can prove that something is going on here, other than just homecoming week and teenagers being teenagers, then I'll, I'll support my kids. The way that I think about it is I think that, yes, the kids should just be kids and they should be allowed to have fun. But is giving a lap dance or witnessing um, somebody else give an adult lap dance, is that a child-appropriate activity? And to me, it is not. Lane says she doesn't believe a line was crossed. Um, none of my children have been hurt. None of the teachers have been hurt. Hazard Independent School Superintendent Sandra Combs says the district is looking into the incident. The district is investigating the incident, and after the investigation is complete, appropriate action will be taken. One of the administrators in the pictures is Hazard High School Principal Donald Happy Mobellini. He's also the mayor of Hazard. We reached out to Principal Mobellini this morning and have not received a response. The superintendent says no further information will be released until the investigation is complete in Perry County. Sophia Millar, LEX 18 News. There's so much fun to be had with this audio clip. <clears throat> There's just so much fun to be had here. So I'm going to cut loose. I almost want to go backwards in time uh, with this particular audio clip. First of all, the superintendent, what she said there at the end, the district's looking into this, and then we're just going to, you know, we're going to make our own decision, and appropriate action will be taken. That line that gets said is said incessantly across schools in America all of the time. The police are investigating themselves. I'm sorry. Uh, the only thing that's going to occur from any of this is they're going to say, stop doing that. Stop doing the lab dances. Stop doing the half-naked whatevers. That's the only thing that's going to happen. No one will be disciplined. Everybody will be shamed a little. Their noses are being rubbed in it right now. And then that's going to be the end of it. That's going to be the end of it. No one, I mean, there won't be any criminal charges. No one's going to lose their job. No one's going to be kicked out of school. That's not going to happen, in particular in this area, because areas like this that are this small, where, where, where the mayor, for Christ's sake, is, is the, the school principal, they're so insulated. 
and they're always trying to protect themselves and each other, that it's disgusting. As far as the mother is concerned, until somebody can prove to me that that some law was broken, well, you're just going to have to deal with it. Here's what that really means. What that really means is, until you can convince me that this is degenerate behavior, this is just fine. This is completely acceptable behavior until you can just tell me that it isn't. If you can prove to me, I mean, that, again, for her to, for her to even say out loud, uh, for, for her to, <laughs> I just love it. I love it. I think it's hilarious. She, she says the dumb part out loud. I just wish some people would just keep their mouths shut. That's the only thing I wish. The only thing around here is people, people not minding their own business. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lady, let me ask you a very simple question. What is school? What do you think is supposed to go on, really, in a school building? Because if she were to answer that question, she's providing her answer already in her response to what actually occurred. See, some people believe that, again, that behavior and those behaviors are 100% fine. And then those people, students, grow up to be adults. And then they enter what? The workforce, and they believe what? That that behavior is also fine. I mean, it's a lack, the lack of civility that's taking place is going to pigeonhole those students into a particular mind frame that's going to be a minimal requirement for a very low-paying job where they're not going to have any movement or growth or anything. I mean, it just, again, that kind of behavior just breeds a lack of growth for, for all of them, for everybody in that entire environment. And again, here, here's, the, here's the hidden part. And God bless the parent who was speaking out against it and knows that this is immoral behavior and unprofessional behavior. But you know that there's at least one school teacher in that building who knows that what goes on during that time is total garbage. I mean, they know it. And they're probably in the process of looking for a different job right now because they don't want to teach there anymore because they don't like what's going on and they know that it's awful. See, every single person who works in that building should be embarrassed right now. It made national news. It made local news. It's made this podcast. I'm cutting them a new one right now. They're being completely torn apart right now, and rightfully so. So again, for for the mother to justify the behavior by going, you know, by openly saying, "Well, you haven't seen the video. It's just pictures. It's just pictures. What's the problem?" Well, the problem is, is we don't need we don't need video. The pictures are degenerate enough. That's why a picture is worth a thousand words. We don't need the video. We don't need the audio. We don't need the laughs. We don't need to hear the tickles from, you know, the laughing from the tickling. We don't need to hear it. We get it. It's bad enough. So, on to the principal slash mayor's history, because uh, this is interesting. It says the following. Unrelated lawsuit against principal. The Lexington Herald-Leader reported that Mobilini, 
was accused in a 2019 lawsuit of not properly chaperoning a school trip to New York City and Washington, D.C., during which one student allegedly raped another student. And then it says two Hazard High teachers are also named in the suit, and a jury trial is scheduled for next August, the paper said, citing court records. Mobilini and the other chaperones have asked that the lawsuit be dismissed, the Herald-Leader reported. It also says this, more from the paper. In 2008, Mobilini was investigated twice for alcohol incidents involving students. The Herald-Leader reported that in one situation, photos surfaced online of him driving students around as they smoked and drank alcohol. Mobilini came under sim- similar criticism in 2008 after police caught students drinking on the school's football field moments after he left them. Mobilini did not get into trouble in either case because he was unaware of the drinking, a Herald-Leader article at the time said. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what's called a pattern. It's that simple. I've worked with such degenerate people before. Patterns emerge, in particular, when consequences are not followed through on. When there aren't proper consequences for immoral, unprofessional, contract-breaking, or illegal behavior, they will resurface and show themselves again. The pictures alone are indicative of illegal behavior and a pattern of clearly him wanting to do something with students in some manner. This is, again, it it goes way beyond unprofessionalism here. We're talking about contract-breaking, certificate-stripping behavior, which is exactly what should happen. He shouldn't even have an administrative, let alone teaching, certificate in the state of Kentucky. It should be ripped from him instantly. And given the fact that he's already under potential indictment or that a, that a trial is going to be taking place in a year from now, wh- why, why is he even allowed to be around minors? Why is he allowed to even be and hold on to a principal position? The guy that you're hearing right now, me, I can't even teach in the state of Ohio. And I've never taught in the state of Ohio. Why can I not teach in the state of Ohio? Because the state of Ohio knows, their Ohio Department of Education knows that I was a whistleblower in Florida. I told them. They read the falsified investigation of me as if it was real, which it wasn't. And I told them the reason that they're, even though I can still teach in Florida, they, which I'll never do ever again, but they flat out know that I was a whistleblower because I told them. I told them the entire story of what went on earlier in my career when I was a K-12 teacher in Florida and how I witnessed this kind of behavior and called it out for what it was. And then they immediately were like, well, you can't teach in the state of Ohio because we don't want you in a school building. You see, whistleblowers are the most morally sound people in a working environment. So it doesn't shock me that Ohio would behave the same way would behave that way toward me because look what they're allowing. You see what kind of behavior they're actually allowing to to take place. Now, this is Kentucky, but look, I mean, one one state department of education isn't any different than the other. They're all immoral cesspools. They're all unprofessional environments. uh, And that's, that's just the way that it is. 
So there's really not, I don't know, there's really not much else to say about it. Um, it's just, it's just more, it's more patterns of troubling behavior that continue to exist in these environments. And the, the patterns are showing themselves now and are way more blatant than ever before. And again, thank God for the students and the morally sound teachers and the parents that are actually bringing this to light and uh, and not letting these people get away with this because again they have to be a, a light has to sh- has to shine on 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 these horrific environments they just do because when you shine a light on them the cockroaches start running they all start scrambling and covering up for each other the superintendent herself is an embarrassment to, to uh, again, she has to say that because there's a quote unquote self investigation taking place. But she's an embarrassment herself because, again, she's the one that made the hire. The board approved it. She made it. She made that hire. She hired the mayor to be the school principal. Can you not find somebody else? Can you not find anybody else? I mean, my God. I'm shocked that a hire like that could actually take place. But then again, I worked for a school principal who had a rap sheet of domestic violence and was a full-blown alcoholic. So theoretically, such hires don't shock me in the slightest. Speaking of bad hires and more degeneracy and more, uh, oh, let's see, Marxism and racism, if that's even a thing, which it's not, but here's Marxism certainly is. I'm going to play this audio, and I'm going to end this episode with this horrific audio. This is five minutes long. I've listened to this now three times. Uh, I hope you're sitting down. This is going to be tough to digest. And, uh, yeah, so here we go. This is uh, comes from Disclosed TV. It's worth playing, and it also stems from an article written about this from the Daily Mail. It's titled, uh, U.S. Professor. Brittany Cooper, 41 years old, at Rutgers University says, quote, we got to take these motherfuckers out, unquote, while referring to white people during a discussion on critical race theory. So she's on some Zoom call with another radical who's sitting there letting her just talk. Here's the thing that you're going to hear again with all of her language. A couple of things to pay attention to. Not only is it beyond obvious that she's a full-blown bigot, and 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 hates white people but she i've spoken on this before when an individual ends their sentences with the word right with a question mark and an upward inflection in their voice right 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 they're looking for affirmation because it's the brain's way of trying to believe what was just said out of their own mouth they're trying to factualize what they just said, knowing full well that deep down in their own cesspool of a brain that they that they somehow believe that what they actually said might not be true, but they're saying it anyway because they actually believe it to be true, and then they're looking for both inward and outward affirmation. So they'll end it in the they'll end a statement which should be a statement of fact, which isn't, but they're but they'll end it with an upward inflection, 
with a word, a singular word like right or okay, again, in the form of a question. So you're going to hear her do that. She does it consistently, or at least a few times that I picked up. But the, again, the fact that an individual like this can be hired should show people what higher education really is, and frankly has always been. But it's coming now to the surface because the Marxist and the Bolshevik cannot help themselves. They just can't. So this entire person's career and life cannot be helped. I mean, they can't be saved. This individual will live their entire life believing things that are not real, and then, of course, behaving as such. So I mustered through the audio multiple times. Um, I hope you have a bottle of water next to you and maybe a punching bag because this is going to make you mad. So here we go. I think that white people are committed to being villains in the aggregate, right? The real sort of issue here, and I, you know, I've heard people sort of say it, is one, I think that white people viscerally fear. It's not that white people don't know, right, what they have done. They know. They fear that there is no other way to be human but the way in which they are human, which is to, so, you know, like you talk to white people and whenever you, you really want to have a reckoning about it, they say stuff like, you know, it's just human nature. If y'all had all of this power, you would have done the same thing, right? And it's like, no, that's what white humans did. White human beings thought there's a world here and we own it. Prior to them, Black and brown people have been sailing across oceans, interacting with each other for centuries without total subjugation, domination, and colonialism. I have seen uh, what a what a show this iteration of treatment of, of other human beings means, and that my hope is that we would do it differently you know, in the moments when we have some power. We will not do it perfectly, but I do think that all of us can sort of agree that a politics that says, like, there are superior and inferior human beings just isn't the way to go. And that's the thing that white people don't trust us to do because they are so corrupt. You know, their thinking is so morally and spiritually bankrupt about power that they can't let, you know, they fear viscerally, existentially letting go of power because they cannot imagine Imagine that there's another way to be. It is either that you dominate or you are dominated. And isn't it sad that that, that is spiritually who they are and that they can't imagine a sort of more expansive notion of the world? The thing I want to say to you is we got to take these motherfuckers out. But I know, but like, we can't say that, right? We can't say, like, I don't believe in a project of violence. I truly don't. Because I think in the end that our souls suffer from that. And I do think that some of this is a spiritual condition. So here is where I land most days about white people. Um, and I actually have been helped in this by thinking about indigenous people, right? See, part of the challenge of, around whiteness is that it totally skews our view of everything, right? I gave this like TED talk about this some years back. And one of the reasons I was trying to think about it is like, the the world didn't start when white people arrived in America and tried to tell all the rest of us how things were going to go. There were people out here making worlds, Africans and indigenous people being brilliant and, you know, libraries and inventions and, you know, vibrant notions of humanity and cross-cultural exchange long before white people showed up being raggedy and violent and terrible and trying to take everything from everybody. And that's really important because if we believe 
believe that history starts for us when white people drag us to these shores, then we can never get outside of the notion that this is going to be our existential struggle. All things that begin end. White folks are not infinite and eternal. Right. They ain't going to go on for infinity and infinity. And that's super important to remember that white colonialism and imperialism has a beginning. And in my way of thinking about the world, that means it has an end. And so part of what we are trying to do is to imagine what it, what are the steps that we must take to get to the other side of this very inconvenient you know, epochal interruption of like black and indigenous world making. I mean, does that give people comfort on a day to day when you like just having to deal with white folks and the trap, you know, the travesties that they create and the sense that they want to destroy the planet? Nah, there is a world beyond even our sojourn on the earth. And so whiteness is going to have an end date because it, it is not, despite what white people think of themselves, they do not defy the laws of eternity, right? Their projects are not so sophisticated that the natural laws of physics change for them and when we sort of humble them in the in humble our own understandings of whiteness it seems like the biggest giant that we face but in the end right it is what i like to say is you know black folks were out here for centuries and centuries and millennia doing all kinds of wonderful things and probably some up things too but whiteness is largely an you know an inconvenient interruption and so we then get to ask ourselves so why am i here in this moment of it like damn you know why did i show up in this particular iteration and it's like well i think we showed up in this iteration precisely so that we could um help to figure out an end and a way to the other side of this you know uh gargantuan historical tragedy that is is white supremacy that that just can't be helped she can't be helped there's not a single thing that anybody can do to help that mind frame and it ties perfectly back into the very first story that i brought up this is clearly an individual that comes from most likely a broken home this is an individual, however, that has made it to the quote-unquote ranks of being a professor at a, at, a, at a well-known university. None of that means anything. It, it, it doesn't really mean anything. It does mean, however, that she's very impressionable in the sense that she's willing to believe just about anything that falls in line with a particular ideology, and that ideology has taken her to a status that lots of other people have. Lots of people are professors uh, across the nation. So what? So what? The problem is, is that she believes things that are not real. And she will live her entire life believing things that are not real. And that, of course, drives behavior. And you can hear it. I, I, I couldn't possibly imagine being in a classroom with her. Now, if she heard me saying that, she would say, well, white boy, I don't want you in my classroom. And I'd say, all right, that's fine. But a morally sound individual would not be in her classroom because they wouldn't be able to stand it. They wouldn't be able to tolerate it. Again, th these are not environments for the morally sound people. They just aren't. So again, it's, it's repetitive, and I'm going to end with this. My continued recommendation 
is to find the most morally sound places and environments to learn. And those environments don't have to be surrounded with people. An individual can obtain and earn degrees, if that's what they're interested in, and they can do so on their own. They can do so without having to rely on endless students around them or endless peers around them or communicating with with teachers or professors or what have you. If the human mind can read, the human mind can learn. It, it's, it, that's it. It is that simple. It's always been that way. It can continue to be that way. And I sure hope that what lies ahead has more of that in the landscape of a, a, a bigger and brighter picture. So, with all that said, have a great weekend, everybody, and I'll catch you on Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.